And I want to really lift up that sickness has really gone through the church. And I pray that, as you do, that God will minister to each and every need. But I wanted to let you know this morning that I did get an update from Michael, uh, his wife. Uh, Michael Moore, as you know him and his wife, Bonnie, they sit over here to the left. He had a heart attack this morning. And he is in ICU. And uh, they're meeting with a cardiologist and everybody now. Uh, uh, Justin and Ashley are with them at the hospital. There are some others leaving after this to go be with them as well. But there's a lot of sickness that we need to continue to remember on our prayer chain and those that are traveling. Uh, please lift them up in prayer. There's none of us immune to anything at any given time. Uh, Jesus never promised to remove us from anything, but he promised he'd walk with us through it. So I pray that we continue to lift up one another as we experience this severe time of sickness. I want to thank each one of you for being here this morning and thank you for uh, just, just being the church. I, my heart has been heavy over the past few weeks and I wanted to uh, get into a text that maybe you went through in vacation Bible school briefly or maybe you went through in Sunday school, but I wanted to talk to you in the next few weeks in the book of Jonah. Now, most of us are familiar with the story of Jonah. You have this man, Jonah, who gets swallowed up by a big fish. He gets vomited out on the shore, and he goes to the city of Nineveh. But one thing that we miss about the story of Jonah, it's not the players we need to focus on. Okay, now we do focus on Jonah a lot. We focus on the big fish, and we focus on the Ninevites. But the whole complete story of this book deals with the sovereignty of God. And it's something that we miss completely. And if you will, I would ask that you stand with me as we read this first chapter of, of the book of Jonah. And I want to get into a few things that may surprise you a little bit. But I want you to leave this place refocusing on the book of Jonah. Okay, so stand with me as we begin to read God's Word. If you don't have your Bibles, you can look up on the screen. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid. And every man cried out to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it up for them. But Jonah had gone below the hold of the ship, laying down, and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you were sleeping? Get up, call upon your God, and perhaps your God will be concerned about us, so that we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots, so that we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now on whose account has this calamity struck us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he said, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the man became, men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? 
For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Keep in mind, pagan men have a strong recognition of what's going on. He said, how could you do this for the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will calm for you, for I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to the land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming ever stormy against them. Then they called upon the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked Jonah up Jonah and they threw him into the sea and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly and they offered a great sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. You may be seated. Now during the Sunday school version of this we often love to tell our children about how this great whale came and took this being and and because of his disobedience, and took him into his stomach until Jonah was vomited up onto the shore. Now I want you to remember though, in the book of Jonah, just like the book of Nahum, there are the only two books in the Bible that end with a question. There are the only two books of the Bible that end with a question. The last words of the book of Jonah shall not have, have pity on these people. You see, what happens in the book of Jonah many times is we love the cutesy stories. We tell our children the stories of Jonah and the well, and it is in passing, and what memory we do have of the book of Jonah is those very cutesy stories. I believe, just like now in the church, that what has happened is weak theology has produced weak people. We don't teach sound theology anymore. We love the cutesy story. As a matter of fact, one of the church plants that Tiffany and I had many years ago was a nursery school that we met in, and across the walls was a mural of Jonah the Well. It was cute to look at, but what we fail to understand is how powerful the sovereignty of God is in this book. And I want to share that with you this morning because I miss it, or because we miss it. And what I named this sermon is how far do you think you're actually going to get? I believe today that there's somebody sitting in here that's just like in this community that is running from God or you're trying to. I believe that just like the scripture said, that Jonah is a prodigal prophet. You see, Jonah was called to be a prophet. You'll find this in the book of 2 Kings chapter 14, that he was real. He served to the northern kingdom during the time of Jeroboam II, during the time of Israel's pinnacle of good things, if you will. Everything seems to be going pretty well. It amazes me, though, that Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria, was a very wicked place. It was a very strong city. It was a city that had all kind of things, all kind of material wealth. But it was sinful. So God tells this Hebrew prophet to leave and go to Nineveh, a Gentile city where wicked people are. Now, take into consideration that God would use the Assyrians 50 years later 
to overthrow the Hebrews. But God sends Jonah to them. He says, let's go back to the first slide. And I want to go through this. The word of the Lord came to him and said, arise and go. Now I'm going to be quite honest with you. There's a lot of places that we don't want to go. And if I could use this for an example, I would like to share with you that something David Platt said a while back. Now take into consideration again, he has been called to go to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, to preach, preach to these pagan, wicked, hard-hearted people. Even amongst him was his own people that was hard-hearted. But God called him to get up and go. And he didn't want to. He decides it is of his best ability to go somewhere else. Like David Platt said, you know why there's still so many unreached people in the world? Because all the easy places are taken. It's easy to do the Fleetwood Mac thing and go our own way. But he calls him to go to Nineveh. Look what he says. Go, because their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish. Let me give you an estimation of how many miles this is. You see, Nineveh was in present-day Iraq. Tarshish is the southwest of Spain. So you're talking about a good way to go. This is not something you just walk in the other direction. Not only did he not want to go, he wanted to get as far from God as he possibly can. That maybe God would forget about it. So the Bible tells us that he went to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now hold that thought. So he went down to Joppa and found a ship which was going to Tarshish. Have you ever found that when you want to run away from the Lord as believers, the devil's always there to prepare a boat? There's always a way to escape, isn't there? See, so he goes to get this boat and pays his own fare. His own fare, which was easy to do evidently, to go to the farthest place that he possibly can and found a ship that was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, went down to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now this is what I find really interesting about this. He says this twice in the first few, or first few verses of Jonah. But if Jonah, which I, he already knew, would be familiar with Psalm 139, David says, where can I go to flee your presence? Does anybody know the answer? Nowhere. You see, no matter how far you go, no matter how far you try to hide from God, there's no escape, people. Jesus made it very clear that He and the Father are all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-present, and in charge of all things. He who made this world that will bring this world to a complete end, know it all. And there's nowhere you can escape. David says in 139, If I make my beds in the mountains or whether I make my bed in the grave, you are there. There is no escaping. You see, you have this man who did not want to go to Nineveh. Why? Listen to me. 
Well, there's several reasons, and we'll get into it a little bit later, but one of them, he didn't like the people. He didn't like them. Is there any people here you don't like? Does that prevent you from doing things because you don't like people? Has God called you to do something and you don't want to do it because you don't like them? Again, all the easy places are taken. But God has called each one of us to go. If you are born again believer in Jesus Christ, Matthew 28 says just like Jonah, where to go. We cannot pick and choose who we share the gospel with. It is available to all men, whether you like them or not. You do not have the right to pick and choose who you think God should save. Oh me or amen? You don't have that right. You see, the Bible tells us very clearly that Jonah didn't want to go. Instead of running with God, he tries to run from him. See, that's what sinners do. They don't run to God in their sin. They run from Him. Jonah knew better. Because he knew he couldn't escape the presence of God. So you've got to ask yourself, how far did you think he's going to get? Let's go on with Scripture. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea. And there was a great storm on the sea that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid and every man cried to his God. Now, I'm, see, I love this part right here. People say, well, they don't believe. I'm going to tell you, any time a calamity, everybody believes. I shared this a while back, but I'll share it again. The only cruise that I've ever been able to be on, my boys got my, my wife for our anniversary, 25th anniversary. And we were able to go to the Bahamas. And during this time, there was one day during the week, we were able to, able to they'd park several miles out from the island. And they took this ferry boat to the island and you got to spend the day. And then you got to go back. It was the day on their little private island. We looked so forward to this. Well, I would have known that something was wrong because the night before I had to get up to, to, in the middle of the night. And as I started walking toward the restroom, the ship had listed and I took off running. And I look out the window and there's this massive storm. I'm going, ooh. Now it's in my mind. But anyway, it had calmed down and it, it, was, it was calm enough that we could go out on to this island. So Tiffany and I, we want to be the first ones on the boat. So we board this little ferry and there we go, boogity boogity. We go out to this island, but it's gray and overcast. But we didn't know a tropical storm was coming. And you see it in the distance and it began to rain and they had only let about 500 people off this ship to this island. And we're standing in the water, and Tiffany's got the pictures, and she's actually got video of this, and I said, this is bad. You can see it coming. It got so bad that they had to evacuate the island. The wind was. So here we are on this ferry. We're on the bottom of it. There's people on the top. We're on the bottom. I mean, it's bad. I, I, I'm nervous. But I'm trying to be the manly man that is called by God to help others in, the, in their time of peril and scare. And, it's, and this is true. So we get to the ship, okay, they lower the plank, and they tell us to disembark. They let the top row go, or the top section, but we get hung on it because the ship can't stay steady with us on it. He comes across the radio, folks, I'm sorry, sit down, we're going back to sea. I said, for how long? 
So we get out there and it's going, and I'm not exaggerating. Like I said, she's got video of this. I don't know how she had the nerves to do that, but she did. But we're going everywhere. So now everybody's hanging on to me because I got as close to the X as I possibly could. I was going to be on the next group. People's hanging all over me. I don't know them. I don't care. I'm scared too. But here we are. We're sitting there. And I said, God, you call me to be a pastor and soon I'll be... Lord, I didn't know I was going down in the Bahamas. <laughs> and I'm praying, and all of a sudden, this is the point I wanted to make. I said all that because I think it's a funny story. But anyway, the, we finally was able to disembark. But before we were, I could hear the voices of people around me. People were praying left and right. They were afraid. It's amazing who people will call on in times of calamity. You see right here, these men know that they're in dire straits. So they began to cry out to their God. But let me show you how sovereign our God is. Look what it says. But the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below the hold of the ship, lain down, and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, how is it that you are sleeping? Now, this is very cool to me. Here this man is, in the midst of a storm, he's away from everybody and he's sleeping. If there's one thing that stuck out to me in this story is this. Why is he sleeping? How can he, in the middle of a storm, sleep? Well, I'm going to tell you how. Because I believe the same thing is happening in the church today. They're sleeping in their complacency. They have a false hope that has made them secure. And they're sleeping. This man's asleep in the midst of a storm. See, if you want to compare this storm and a sleep to another man, the Bible tells me in the book of Mark and Matthew that Jesus also slept in the middle of the storm. But the difference was this. Jonah was the cause of the storm. Jesus was the calmer of the storm. He's true peace. Jonah had false peace. There's a big difference. You see, Jonah's down here and the captain goes, what are you doing? You're sleeping? Get up and call upon your God. The Bible, Romans tells me, that every man has seen the attributes of God. They've seen Him in nature, and they've seen Him in everything else. Therefore, we are without excuse. People know that there's a God. They know there's something greater than them. But yet, they chose to worship creation more than Creator. They worship the wrong God. But they know something's greater. But you know what's interesting about this text? No matter how much they try to cry out to their God, it don't work. So God in His sovereignty uses this prodigal prophet to open their eyes. Look. Next slide says, Each man said to his mate, Come and let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots and it fell on Jonah. Now what is lots? Today it would be like flipping a coin or rolling dice. God would use this throughout the New Old Testament, and some in the New, He would use instances of it. Here's the thing. Man gets to cast the coin, but God is in charge of the results. We can't miss this. So they flip the coin, all of a sudden it comes on Jonah. 
Surprise! So they cast lot and it fell on Jonah and they said to him, tell us now on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And from what people are you? What have you done to us? Who are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and dry land. And then the man became extremely frightened. And they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Isn't it amazing though? Even in Jonah's disobedience, God used Jonah's disobedience in a storm to bring enlightenment, enlightenment to those who knew him not. Even in the midst of a storm, God awakened the eyes of pagan people. And they come to a realization, man, we're serving the wrong person. You see, John is asleep in his own contented heart, away from everybody. Like I say, I believe the church is doing today. You see, Chad, how could you say such a thing? Because I can say to you now, that missions have fallen more than they have ever fallen before. The fastest growing denomination, if you want to use this word today, the fastest growing denomination in the, U, uh, the United States right now is the Jehovah's Witnesses. People are so hungry to hear something that they're willing to hear whatever it takes from people that care. And the church has fallen. Because instead of going into the world and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, the only true and living God... We have fallen asleep. How far do we think we're going to go until God gets our attention? You see, I don't know how many men were on this ship. The Bible doesn't say. But this is a story within itself before we get to the belly of the well in the deep blue sea. God is in control of all aspects of all being, and even these men were not off his radar. For God used this storm. Have you ever heard many men or many preachers preach on the men that repented before Jonah got eaten? This book's not just about a fish. It's not about Jonah, but about the almighty presence of God. Look what it says. They knew he was fleeing. What should we do that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said, pick me up and throw me in the sea. Pick me up and chunk me. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. Let me give you another little point this morning. And sometimes the storm in lives could be caused by you and your disobedience. You see, there's sin in the camp. There was sin on the ship. And because of one man's disobedience, everybody else felt it. You see, the Bible tells me often that God will not tolerate sin and disobedience. 
And when God tells you to do something, He means it. It's not a joke. It's not delayed. It's not, we will try again. But do as God commands. The Old Testament, as we talk about through Wednesdays quite often, obedience equals what? Blessings. Disobedience equals what? Cursings. Follow the Word of God. How many people have to pay for our inaction? I believe again, we're sleeping. And if I can encourage you this morning, we may be few this morning, we may not have many online, but let me tell you this very clearly. Please listen. We are none of us here called to be complacent and inactive. We are called to go. I cannot believe in my life that there is an excuse nor a verse that says we can be lazy believers in Jesus. If Christ has changed you, then you will want to share that change with other people that they may know the peace that you have. Amen? Because of one man's disobedience, others paid for it. So they said, they rode desperately. I could make a lot of things. I could be in this book for a while, chapter 1. And I may do that to y'all's excitement. But listen to me. See, I, <clears throat> I'm not trying to go off on a tangent. Every word of God is written for a purpose. I don't believe there's any vague verses. He wrote it for a reason. Look, it says, however, the men rode desperately to return to the land, but they could not. Do you hear what's going on here? You've got to admire them. They're trying to hang on to their cargo, even Jonah. But no matter how much they tried to fight against God, it wasn't working. And so many times we try to go to battle against God and it's fruitless. How far do we think we're going to get? For the sea was becoming even stormier against him. But look, when they tried to fight, when they tried desperately to go against what God was doing, look what happens. Let me just put it to you this way. Remember the other week we was talking about kicking against the pricks, kicking against the goads? When you try to fight against God, what happens? It's meaningless. And most of the time, like... Paul was sharing in Acts chapter 26, and we were learning the other day about when we were talking about kicking against a goad. What does that mean? See, when you are prodded, the very, the very reactive instinct of you is to kick back. You don't like to be prodded. But when you kick back after you're prodded, it hurts. There's consequences to fighting back. That's what Paul was seeing in Acts 26 before King Agrippa. Why do you kick against the pricks? Why are you doing this? Get up and follow me. Are you being prodded? Kick him back delays what you've been called to do, and it causes pain. These men knew that the more they rode, the worse it got. So what do they do? Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. And do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. You see that? That is true repentance, my friends. When they've come to the realization that they are not number one. 
when they come to the realization that they are accountable for themselves, and they come to the realization that I cry out to God for mercy, He will give it. We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let this man, or let us perish because of this man, and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. I remember the day that God saved me. I remember the change that He has wrought in me. You see, He changed me. He gave me a new nature. Because what I surrendered to was Him and Him alone. Because I know that Chad couldn't make it on his own. Have you surrendered? How far do you think you're going to get? Lord, you have done as you have pleased. So they picked Jonah up and they threw it in the sea. And the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. That is the true indication of a changed heart. That they were going in one direction and now they're going in another. Because through this story, through what happened to Jonah, God's great sovereignty, these men were saved. But Jonah's not through. Again, he was just a little bitty part of the story. There's more for Jonah. There's more for people. You see, the Bible says that the Lord anointed a great, appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish for three days and three nights. All right. God used him on the boat to change lives. Now he's going to throw him in the ocean and give him an indication of how many lives can be changed. You see, I want to tell you this morning that if you read this text and you see the sovereignty of God, that understand this, first and foremost, God is in control of all things. And if you are His, you have to follow. That is non-negotiable. You follow God, whatever it may be. I'm not talking that you've been called in the ministry. I'm not saying that you've been called in the missions, but you might have. <clears throat> Maybe you need to call that person and make reconciliation for what you have a problem with. Maybe you need to make right something you've done wrong before. Maybe God is urging you to go share the gospel with your neighbor. Maybe He's telling you that you need to take care of this situation. Maybe He is telling you you need to do certain things. Listen to me. Listen to Him. God doesn't do anything for the sake of making you miserable. He does everything for the sake of His glory. It's for His glory. Are you obedient to that call? What has God called you to do? And how far do you think you're going to get? Number two, realize this. Disobedience will bring calamity. Now I want you to hear what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that whatever sin or whatever may be in your life or not in your life, I'm not saying whatever situations in your life or not in your life, listen, what you're going through, sometimes things happen. But the first person that we need to look at when we're going through any kind of calamity is whom? Ourselves. The Bible tells us very clear in Hebrews that God will discipline those whom He loves. When my dad used to get upset with me, and I did something foolish, I got a whooping. 
That's something we don't do anymore either, but that's, that's, that's not here or there. But listen. And it hurt. And it was to teach me a lesson. And it was done out of love. You say, how can that be done out of love? I'll tell you how it's done out of love. Because he didn't want me to grow up to be a heathen. God disciplines us because he don't want us to grow in Christianity and share something that ain't true. He wants to grow in his word. He disciplines those whom he loves. And the first person we should always look at is ourselves. I know that's not popular, but listen to me. Not only can your sin affect you, which it does, and belittles the holiness of God, it affects people around you. (coughs) Have you ever thought about that? I say this quite often. There's two reasons why people don't become Christians. Number one, they had never seen one, or number two, they say they have. What kind of life do you live? Does it represent Jesus? Is your family falling apart because you're not the example God's called you to be? Is your workplace falling apart because you're this, that disgruntled person that don't like people? Are you running from God because there's people that you don't like? I'm going to be quite honest with you. There's been people in my life that I didn't like either. But who am I not to share the good news of Jesus Christ because He is good and I'm not. He is worthy and I'm not. I shared this, I think it was one Wednesday night or during our catechism class in the mornings. And I'm not going to tell you too much longer, but think about this. As we'll go through the book of Jonah, you'll see it's hatred. But I want you to think about this for a few moments. What if, and I heard this pastor use this example, what if several years ago you had heard this? Brothers and sisters, I'd like to welcome our new church planner, a person who has changed lives, a person who when Christ changed him, he has been used for his glory. Your friend and mine, Sodom Hussein. And he got the same response that some of y'all are probably giving me. But he said, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. And let's talk about a man named Saul of Tarsus. Now what you going to say? Because here was a man that persecuted the very name of Jesus Christ. He persecuted him. He made fun. He held coats while they stoned Stephen. But yet God in his great mercy reached out and grabbed Saul and said, You're going to follow me. And he became one of the greatest preachers history has ever known. Because he was obedient. And the same God that saved this wicked, sinful man can save any of us. 
he used a disgruntled prophet for his glory and saved those who were disobedient. God is who he says he is. And whether you want to get up and go or whether you want to stay at home, let me tell you something. If God tells you to go, you better go. Because if you go the other direction, born-again believer, listen, you're not going to get very far. The last thing I want to bring up to you is this. One thing this book has taught me, <clears throat> just in this chapter, that God can save anybody at any time at any given place, and it's not up to me. Have you ever thought about that? Where Jonah intended to, intended to run, God used this for his glory. And by the calamity that was brought on to Jonah and those that were around him, God again used for his glory. Let me tell you something. God will do great things in the center of a storm. We should learn this, people. One of the things that drives me crazy, and I repeat it every week, is this health, wealth, and prosperity junk. I will tell you now that if you're a believer in Christ, you will have a storm. Just like the Hebrew children, you either go into a furnace, you're in the middle of the furnace, or you're coming out of it. There's no other way. You will face storms. There's no amount of money you can give that's going to change that. And if you hit the $1.9 billion lottery, you're still going to be the same person with the same problems. That God's not going to save you. You will not escape storms. Have I made that abundantly clear? But if you see the sovereignty of God in the midst of the storm, He punished one man, He saved the others because He is in the center of the storm with us. And just because you go through something and you're having a hard time doesn't mean you have a lack of faith. Oh, if you had disbelieved more, they would have been healed. Somebody better never say that to me. That's junk. Let me tell you something. Anything contrary to the Word of God is heresy. Period. I do not have the power to make you rich. I don't have the power to make you holy. I do not have the power to make you healthy. I do not possess that. God alone is the author of all things. And He will use calamity for His glory. He will use that calamity to get your attention. But He's always completely in control. Please, please believe that. That even in the first chapter and we hadn't got to the cutesy part of the story... That he punished a man. He saved men. And the story is not over. If you believe God can save you, if you believe God can sustain you, then you got to get up and go. you got to be faithful in the storm. And I'm praying today, listen, I'm telling you, 
I'm not a prophet nor a son of a prophet. Okay? The word is written. I can't add to it, and I'm definitely not taken away. It's written. But what I will tell you this, I believe in all my heart that there's somebody here, and no, I'm not trying to do one of those prophet things. I, I don't know, but I believe because people telling themselves. What are you running from God? What are you being a Jonah about? I don't like that person at work. Well, you know what? God can still save them. Chad, I don't like my family. God can still save them. Chad, I don't want to go into ministry. <laughs> God will still use you for his glory. Because just like David said and Jonah find out, there's no place to escape from his presence. No matter where you go, no matter how much you hide, no matter how much you try to sleep in your own self-righteousness, God is there. Surrender to this call. Amen? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your mercy. And God, I want to thank You for all that You've done today. And right now, Lord, as the band comes up, I want to have a special time of prayer for Michael Moore this morning. Lord, one of ours is part of this family is struggling. And he's in the storm. And Lord, He loves you. And He knows, and His wife knows, that times are tough. But God, you can calm in the storm and you can save in the storm. And He hasn't anywhere that He can be, whether it's in a hospital bed or whether at home, that He can escape your presence. God, we pray for Him this morning. We lift Him up to You, Lord, that Your hand come upon Him. Lord, we ask for the wisdom for the doctors and the nurses and the staff. Lord, we ask for Your hand, regardless, to be on Him for Your glory and Your glory alone. And God, as we stand up here in confidence, we praise Your name that He may be lying there unconscious, but God, He knows You are on the throne. God, we pray. Lord, we pray that others around Him would see the magnificence of Your glory. Regardless of who may come in path, Lord, we pray for the Cheatham's and the other family that are there ministering, that, Lord, people may ask questions, who are You and who do You trust in this time? We trust in the name of Jesus, who is the Creator of all things. God, I pray for the others that are sick, that are not here today. Lord, I pray for Your healing hand to fall upon them. There are those that are sick with different things. There are those that are away traveling. God, I pray Your hand would be upon them. Lord, we are Your people called by Your name to share the good news of Your Son for Your glory. We need You, O oh Father. We need Your presence. We need Your healing hand. But God, what we pray about more than anything we don't always get the results we expect, but God, You get the results You want. Lord, give us peace and understanding. Give us strength. Give us courage that You may be glorified 
in all things, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please stand and sing with us, How Great Thou Art.